1: need you here
3: to the house of pod i'm kaveh i'm
1: lizzie i was doing harmony did you guys catch that Ye- were you no
3: i wasn't <laughs> were you <laughs> no,
1: no I wasn't. <laughs>
3: um so uh we're the house of pod if you've never heard us before we are a medical type podcast we talk about medical type things sometimes we don't um i mean we Talk about other things. I don't mean like sometimes we don't talk and then just quiet. Like sometimes we you know. listen.
1: Every other episode is just silence. You could try
3: that, actually, I would listen to a podcast where it was just like
1: silence, silence
3: for like five minutes. That probably would be good for me. That's um, like sensory how,
1: deprivation. You love those things.
3: I did. I did. Used to go into one of those pods. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done that since COVID, obviously. But they yeah. have these little pods in San Francisco where like the water is like. Perfect body temperature and like it closes in around you. There's some ambient light and you just kind of like chill and it's like I pretend like I'm meditating. Some people say when they do this, they like hallucinate, they go to like some other transcendental state. I think that's probably all bogus. But um it's relaxing, if nothing else, to have yeah, to be forced to do nothing but just to float. Yeah. Is I think a good thing that, that people should try.
1: With or without acid. Microdosing.
3: I would recommend not Mm -hmm. dosing before doing that. That seems really dangerous. I feel like getting trapped in a pot (laughs) of water on on acid would be a bad. That's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, Um, we're going to talk today about misinformation and kind of where to get good information with Dr. Nina Shapiro later. But something I wanted to talk about was an experience I had with a patient recently about you know vaccine hesitancy. Um, Have you had patients who? Um, have not had their vaccines yet for specific reasons other than they just haven't been eligible?
3: For sure. Um, Yeah, this has been coming up a lot and I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been talking about it a lot. I've been working on my approach and I think the major, most important thing that I have focused on that seems to help is listening. And we talk about this a lot on the show, but just listening to see what their uh, complaints are or what their concerns are. right? And, you know, what's interesting is, remember when we talked about that paper that came back in March, early March, about why doctors and frontline healthcare workers weren't getting vaccinated? The, the number one reason for most of those people was people were concerned about the speed of which this thing came out. And when people tell me that is their concern, I get kind of happy because I feel like that is something that I can listen to. I can hear it. I can then address it and then talk to them about it. There's definitely this other group where it's just like, we're not going to reach them. They have some really strict, like political thing that keeps them from ever wanting to take the vaccine, or they have some weird belief that it's going to be really hard to reach. And those people I just try to introduce the concept and I'm not going to push it because I don't think I'm going to get that far, but at least introduce it. But the people I really want to work on are those people who are concerned about the speed at which it came out. Because I feel like that's the those are the ones we can reach.
1: Right. I agree with that. I'm working on two things. One is, you know, they have vaccine hesitancy. I have conversation hesitancy. I'm like sort of terrified that when I ask my patients, have you been vaccinated? They're going to say no, because I don't want to... Mm-hmm not respect them. You know, I have respect and patience and usually warm 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 feelings towards most of my patients, but um and and sometimes not. But I really don't want to feel anger and I don't want to be rude or dismissive, right? So the other day I right. had time on a phone call with a patient who told me a week earlier or two weeks earlier that he was hesitant. So I said, "You know, now that we have time, we finished that conversation about whatever poop or whatever." can we talk about it? So coming into the conversation sort of open and patient helped because I knew he'd already told me he was hesitant. So I knew not to be primed for frustration, right? And the second thing I read recently was that you have to go into these conversations knowing or or feeling like it's the first time they've heard anything and that they're going to need to hear it five to 10 to a hundred more times. And you just have to start, you have to be part of that process. And hopefully you're not the only one having the conversation. So I think those two things yeah. coming into any conversation, open-minded, try not to be too critical or judgmental and having patience because you know you're going to have to say the same things over and over. But then he went on yeah. to say, quote unquote, anything Bill Gates does I don't trust. And I'm like, well, I don't I don't know what to say cuz that guy's That's done a lot. lot. <laughs> Bill Gates has done a lot of shit. A lot of it good, some of it sort of ruthless and you know, maybe maybe a little domineering, but like, probably a lot of good intentions out there, you know, and um, I don't know what to say to that. I'm just like, why do you not trust Bill Gates? Like, have you guys hung out? Did he sleep with your wife? Like, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) But the Operation Warp Speed, I agree with you. That is like, you know, this isn't brand new technology. Nobody should have named it Operation Warp Speed. There are so many conversations to have about it. And we just have to try. I think all the data says that patients just need to hear from someone that they respect. Right.
3: And they're probably going to need to hear it just like they do with with cigarette smoking. Right. They hear it. They have to hear it from multiple different doctors, multiple different sources that they respect, hopefully respect. And it's going to be the same. You're exactly right. It's part of the process. We have to just be patient and part of that process. I mean, you can't make people feel bad for not doing it. That's not a great approach. You can't guilt people into doing it even though i would want to for sure and the whole bill gates thing i don't know what to do about it. i mean the funny thing is like if you want to complain about bill gates complain about the fact that he doesn't want the the patents to be to be open for the right. vaccines you know right. not not about like some of the good stuff he's actually done in terms right. of vaccines so i don't i don't understand where that lies but um bill if you're listening we will take a loan or a sponsorship <laughs> Or a grant
1: yeah all those things with no strings this episode attached
3: brought to you by microsoft <laughs> uh, without further ado let's uh, go to our guest dr nina shapiro the author of the book hype a doctor's guide to medical myths exaggerated claims and bad advice how to tell what's real and what's not um as always if you haven't please follow us on twitter at the house of pod we're also at instagram as well and probably facebook still If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. Write us a review. It apparently helps get other listeners to the show, which makes us feel good about ourselves and keeps us doing this. Uh, Thank you to Nadim for help with production. Anyone else you want to thank, Lily? No. Stay tuned. Enjoy some music from my band, The Resurrection. Welcome back today. We are joined by Dr. Nina Shapiro. She is the director of ENT. That's otolaryngology and head and neck surgery. Because ENT doctors don't like being called ENT doctors, right? I heard there was like a thing about that, like guys in fraternities don't like you calling it a frat. It's the same sort of thing with ENT. Is that correct?
4: (laughs) Sort of is, except if you're pediatric ENT. So I'm the director of pediatric ENT. Not the director of ENT at UCLA. I'll get in big trouble. So um, you're cool.
3: You're saying like, because you're pediatric, you're cool. You're not like uptight. Right. We're type. just
4: sweeter. <laughs> you know, we're kind of like pediatrician adjacent. You know, we're kind of.
3: <sighs> well, you're 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 not just that. You're also the author of this book, Hype which I'm holding in my hand right now and and listeners cannot tell, but just trust me, it is there in my hand. It is a doctor's guide to medical myths, exaggerated claims and bad advice, how to tell what's real and what's not. Um, So thank you, Dr. Shapiro, for joining us on the show to talk
1: about this. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm very curious about why pediatric doctors don't mind being called ENT. You just think there's maybe less ego. Is that what it is? I think it's a combination. Yes, we definitely have a lot less ego
4: um, than, you know, the head and neck cancer surgeons, the plastic surgeons, the laryngologists go down the list. Um, And we talk to children all day. So, you know, to say you're an otolaryngologist, head and neck surgeon... Um, to an eight-year-old, as opposed to, I'm your ENT doctor, Dr. Nina. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just a little sweeter. And I think, you know, the parents appreciate it a little bit more. So we're not pediatricians. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, but uh, we're yeah. just we're just a little nicer. Yeah. Are.
3: I can see that. So let, let's talk about the book. Um there's a lot in it uh, to cover. Let's let's start with uh, a quote you had regarding patients. Uh, early on in the book, you have this quote: "Patients are are different." Again, this is mostly for the good. Access to information is overwhelming. Patients ask more focused, educated, pointed questions and know details about medical care that most doctors wouldn't have known in the past. But there's some buts to that. What are the pluses and the minuses of the the newer patient populations and what do doctors need to adjust to?
4: So most of it is, a lot of it is good, I would say, that patients have more access to information. So in the past, it used to be, "Yes, yes, doctor, thank you, doctor. You want a second opinion? I'll tell you again a second way. And that was medicine in many many places but now people do want information and they come armed with good information and for the most part that is good so if you're working with a patient you can have a better conversation you can explain things in a way that they would understand because they already have some information that they've come to the table with but there is so and it is a big big but Uh, There is so much bad information out there. And I think even worse than that, there's so much partially bad information out there. So, so many people in, you know, primarily in social media will give a little bit of good information sort of dipped into a lot of bad information. And so it really gets mixed and messed up and that's how people come to the doctor. And especially during this whole pandemic, and this is going to continue with a little bit of good information, but a lot of bad information. And it really is messing up the way we treat patients and the way we think, I think.
1: Yeah. I think right now, and honestly, what Kaveh and I have talked about over the last year and a half, so much with COVID and the vaccines... To me, this is like, of course, there's so much bad information, but I assume maybe you had the idea to write this book and have been writing this book maybe before COVID. What were you seeing? Were you seeing some pattern? Was there something specific that inspired you? What Was it the COVID pandemic, all the misinformation we've read and seen regarding the virus and the vaccines and, and everything?
4: You know, I think it was, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so there's a lot of um, interesting health concepts in Los Angeles. It's the it's the wellness uh, scam capital of the world. Um, and so, and, and working with families, you know, pre-COVID as well, there was so much misinformation about vaccines. And so a lot of what sort of spurred my interest pre-COVID in, in writing this book was vaccine misinformation for parents and families so i would have families come in and they would want to you know make sure their children had the perfect organic diet and you know no no preservatives and do go to all the right preschools and you know no plastic go down the list and they wouldn't vaccinate their kids and that was part of their wellness process and it was it was you know terrifying to see because we would see you know these outbreaks you know around southern california and northern california as well um there'd be these crazy outbreaks of illnesses you know there were vaccine preventable illnesses here um, in northern california i don't know if you guys remember that whole thing with the water so people were drinking raw water and so there was this outbreak of some you know so unprocessed water which you know we think of not just tap water but water that's literally like from a river that's you know contaminated and people were getting sick and dying raw milk was popular as well so people do these things that sound healthy um, but they're actually quite dangerous and so that was really one of the inspirations for the book or the main inspiration was that people get misguided on how on what they think is healthy for them and for their families
0: yeah
3: when you're talking to families about that um what What's your approach in correcting someone who comes to you with something that might sound pretty outlandish to you as a medical professional? How do you, how do you, how do you manage that? Because I, I'm sure for me, one thing that I've learned from dealing with talking to people about the vaccine is my first instinct is to be sort of angry. <laughs> when they don't want to get it, when they tell me something crazy, like Bill Gates is putting a chip into their body or something like that. My first instinct is to sort of respond with like, what the hell is wrong with you? Right. That's not obviously the right approach. How do you manage these situations where someone comes to you with something that seems pretty outlandish?
4: So yeah, it happens pretty regularly, <laughs> you know, the vaccines now, cause I do ask a lot of families, um, now the 12 plus is, is authorized. And I have a lot of patients and families with, you know, kids who are 12 and up, you know, have you gotten your vaccine? And, and we start to talk about it. Um, but even, you know, prior to that with issues about, you know, health choices for families, um, I do really try not to be snide. It's so tempting, you know, what, what are you thinking? What the hell are you thinking? Um, but it, you know, they're thinking good, you know, most people are actually have thought about this in what they think is a very sort of logical manner. And they've done, you know, some what they, you know, I've done my research, they say, which is a pet peeve term of mine. Um, but I really try to tease apart what they mean. And as opposed to just saying, you know, oh, I, they're going to implant 5G. Well, really, how would that happen? How would they do that? or it's going to cause infertility. Well, let's talk about that specific issue. And I do that with kids as well, because, you know, a lot of pediatric patients are very nervous. You know, they're going to have surgery. We talk about surgery as opposed to just, you know, oh, I'm scared. Oh, don't be scared. Um, you know, the, right. answer, the you know, just sort of try to really tease apart the specifics
0: right. and
1: get down to what they're getting to. And that way we can approach it better. And that you do have to have a lot of patience. And like you said, yeah. not be snide, not be judgmental. I had a patient last week and we had time at the end. And I said, Can you tell me more about it? As opposed to, Why not? Are you dummy? <laughs> like, don't you want to get back to life? Like, don't you want to try right. to make it this seem just like a common cold and move on? Right. And I knew we would end and he wouldn't be into it. But, I, and, you know, I just read. But stories. it
3: was a step. You, you, it's, you, you it's, it's a step, step.
1: And I know it's yeah. going to be many steps. And I think if we right. just have that mindset that it, you're not going to, you know, we all think that we can like sort of, com- we all convince people, Kaveh and I are like, you need a colonoscopy. You, you know, Dr. Shapiro, you're telling patients they need surgery or or worse patients' parents that they need surgery. So we think right, that right. we have this ability to, to win people over with maybe charm and facts and, And it's just so, so hard with this.
3: And we're notoriously not great listeners. It's like in, in doctors' minds, they're listening for like four minutes. In reality, it's like 20 seconds. (laughs) We have a very different perception of time. It's in listening to people say things that we might find a bit wacky or very contrary, at least to what we are taught and believe it can be hard for us. So it's a, it's a, a real challenge. But in this book, you sort of, you give a good guideline for, for patients how to do some of this on their own how to think critically about some of this um when you talk to to people who have read it when you talk to uh patients who might have read your book or just anyone else what takeaways are you hoping that they get and what what takeaways do they seem to get from it
0: um
4: you know i think you know the goal of the book is really um To empower people, I think that, you know, especially if you're not medical, you have this idea that they're the medical people and then there's everyone else. And I think that people don't give themselves enough credit as far as how they can access good information. And, you know, from, you know, giving talks and, and talking to audiences, they say, well, we don't have access to the information that you have. I hear that all the time. And that's actually not the case. They don't, you know, it's a simple way to just say, yes, you do. And here's how you find it. It may not be as interesting. The websites are not as glitzy um it's not going to be you know a fun little you know 20 minute tv show but you you know everybody has the same access and it's easier nowadays so i talk about google scholar which isn't the most beautiful search engine but it's it has everything that anyone would want um And just, you know, to explain a simple thing about, you know, if you just use regular Google, what the first two search engine, you know, first two items are, are going to be ads and the bottom of the first page is going to be ads and then same on the second page. And then once they see that, and you don't need to be medical to see that, but it is human nature. You Google something and you click the first thing because that's obviously the best and that's the advertisement. And then you get down this other rabbit hole because it's going to lead you down to something else. So I think, you know, the goal of the book or one of the main goals of the book was really to give people the tools to find out good information. And you don't have to be medical to do that.
3: Along those lines, you do talk about, uh, just like you mentioned, Google and the ads. Can you explain what SEOs are, search engine optimization?
4: So SEO is um, a term that's used for social media and really used for any sort of way that people navigate the internet so it is whether a let's say it's a website and they're going to use certain terms that are very hot terms whether it's you know covid vaccine as a keyword and you throw that in there or just vaccine or vaccine hesitancy or infertility you put these really just buzzwords in and that gets your item higher up on google So that's what that is. But what's very close to it is SEM or search engine manipulation, which people use just purely to get people to get to their site more quickly. And that is sort of manipulating keywords. And there's, there are a lot of technical stuff that I have no idea about how people do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's just a monetary way to get your, you know, that's not necessarily looking like an ad, but to get your, um, your site up there to number one or two so there's a lot of games there are a lot of games that go on to get your site found quickly mm-hmm. and um most
1: a lot of it is not really uh, kosher mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. so
1: you um so you're trying to give a playbook or a handbook for people to try to navigate the internet um and obviously just to look out for ads and um traps uh how would you recommend, whether it's on the internet or maybe even in person, how what advice would you give to tell if a resource or a doctor is trustworthy? Yelp, of course. Right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's a trick question. I read the book.
1: Yeah, I have a friend who's a you know ICU palliative care doctor. She has one Yelp review. In, you know, 10, 15 years of practice and it called her Dr. Kavorki because she helped somebody die with dignity, you know, like, and obviously the child who wrote that was just unhappy. Like the person was right. was dying. So Yelp to our listeners is not a great way to find much. No. But. Right. So that's not the way you find out if a doctor is good. I, you know,
4: it's interesting because if you ask like internally, at, you know, working in the hospital, I'm sure you guys have a similar experience. How, you know, how do you find out who's the best doctor? Ask the nurses. Mm-hmm. That's what everyone says, at least for surgeons. You ask, you know, who's the best surgeon? Ask the OR nurses. They know, you know, there's no curtain drawn. Um, so so that's one way internally. Uh, in general, you know, it's it's not necessarily the nicest website or even the nicest waiting room that is, you know, the best doctor and that, you know, there's a broad question for that. You know, are you looking for someone doing to do a procedure or are you looking for someone to be your internist for the rest of your life? Um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to do that. A lot of it is just, you know, seeing who, who works for you, you know, trusted family members, trusted friends. Um, a lot of it is word of mouth. And uh, you know, again, unless you have a super, super specialized issue that you need to deal with, you know, if you, have a, you know, need a cardiac surgeon, you want somebody who's experienced in this particular type of cardiac surgery. You know, so it really depends uh, on that. But Yelp is not the way to do it.
3: Yelp, even for restaurants, just like you're saying, can be questionable. I mean, there's something to be said about professional critics. Somebody who—I mean—I know it's about power to the people in this regards, and it's you know it's, there's this elitism to like professional critics, but there's something to be said about somebody who knows does this for a living, goes in, and reviews a place and can tell you that information. And we don't necessarily have the same exact thing for doctors, but we have standards that are typically met. There's there are like JCO and there are these commissions that review hospitals and, and doctors and that sort of thing. So um, there, there's a lot to be said for that
1: right yeah right yeah definitely. i mean you go to times square and it's like the reviews are exceptional it's because people are on vacation you know it's like of course right. or i mean right. again pre-covid but you can't necessarily trust volume and good ratings so the, you know and and you talked about it but uh, i definitely have seen bad reviews because people because it rained i'm like that's not fair <laughs> like people got wet. parking <laughs> was hard i'm like that's yeah, yeah. that's not fair you know so that your advice would be to speak to people, go to primary resources, and, and I guess the website, it is, it is hard though. I mean, if you don't have a doctor or a nurse in your life, you know, you're you just going to these websites. And like you said, I have no control over you know my institutional website or my institutional waiting room. I could be an exceptional doctor or a terrible doctor, but I work in the construct of an institution and I have no say over how we present ourselves, you know, it's um, a higher up bureaucratic decision. So I think it is hard to navigate the world as a patient, you know,
4: it is. And, you know, and, it, but, you know, I think people need to know that it's fluid and sometimes, you know, if you're in it, at an institution that, that is a trustworthy institution, then that speaks for itself, regardless right. of, you know, carpeting on the floor these days that, you know, if you're working at a well-respected Institution or well respected practice, mm-hmm. um, that is usually, you know, says something either good or bad, but it usually, you don't necessarily have to have a certain fancy waiting room or fancy website or, you know, or anything because you work for that institution,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
3: You're in LA and you are probably exposed to uh, probably a different clientele that Lizzie and I are on a regular basis. Can you see? why people get into these or why doctors fall sometimes into these traps. For example, I think about Michael Jackson a lot. I think about the fact that he found the cardiologist who eventually gave him propofol to help him sleep. I don't know the full details of it, but that's what I understand. And I know that he wasn't the first doctor he went to. I'm sure he went around until he found a doctor who wanted to give Michael Jackson what he wanted. Is it like that in, in the crowds in LA, if there is a rich affluent, maybe they're uh, maybe they're famous. Is it easier for doctors to get lulled into some of these, these, this bad medicine, this unproven medicine into pseudoscience? Is it easier for this to happen in places like LA?
4: You know, definitely in L.A., and this is in, I think, in most major cities, but definitely more in L.A., there are certain doctors and practices that I think the, you know, high end or high level um, celebrities and athletes tend to gravitate to because they know that they will get certainly the service that they uh, expect. You know, concierge level, uh, subspecialty care at all levels. So I think there's definitely a lot of that in LA. So there are certain groups where the celebrities tend to go because they'll get what they want and when they they want it, when they need it, and house calls still exist um, very frequently here. And and there is a fair amount, probably not that much, but there is a fair amount of um, care based on what the patient wants, not necessarily what the patient needs or should have. Thankfully, we, you know, we at UCLA, but it's true. We at UCLA don't really engage in that. We do see some celebrities, um, you know, we're in West LA, which is, you know, a little bit West of Hollywood, um, but we're right near Bel Air, you know, where it's in a very sort of affluent part of Los Angeles. Um, So you know, there is some expectation that, you know, what our VIPs uh, will get. And frankly, from my standpoint, what they get that I can offer them is privacy. Because especially if it's, again, this is going to be for what I do, it's a child Mm -hmm. of a celebrity. And so what I tend to do, I tend to go out of my way to make sure that, you know, we have the back door and they go in a half hour earlier. And so, because it is really um, you know, a scary place to be a child of a celebrity right. in a scary world. Um, but other than that, um, you know, they get what they get
2: yeah. or they right. don't get upset <laughs> <laughs> oh, <there laughs> or they go. go somewhere
4: else, <laughs> yeah. but I don't alter my medical care. And I think most of us really don't, you know, there are a few practices obviously and a few physicians who do, but I, thankfully that's the minority.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that you can reconcile it, it- Nobody, we we don't know people who would, but I think that there are people out there who can say, well, if I don't give this propofol to Michael Jackson, somebody else will, and I can make a lot of money. You know, I I think that money must and celebrity status of the of yeah. feeling like you're serving some VIP. I Not think right. it might be um a little bit of ego or or um
2: yeah,
3: close to being a star as most doctors will get is treating a star. Yeah, you know, uh, so I I I could see. How that could happen, I could see the draw to it um it's it's a It's a danger in medicine, I think, in certain places for certain places it's not so for us yeah. for example it's not quite yeah. the same thing um, but along those lines in your book, you talk about anti aging treatments, and I feel like that's anti aging creams anti aging ointments, all this advice about what to eat and drink that's always been a market for that anti-aging, just aging itself. But is am I just becoming immune to it? Or does it seem like it's a little bit less than it was in the past? Or is it more likely now just in the realm of the super uber rich that have all these different you know pseudoscience treatments for anti-aging? For example, I had a neighbor here in San Francisco who who worked with a very famous and and wealthy tech guy and they were very interested in talking about options for anti-aging like cryotherapy going into freezing chambers plasma therapy all kinds of weird stuff that to my knowledge is not proven is is that where the whole anti-aging uh industry is now really just focused on the the super rich or is it still there in for all comers now
4: Still pretty, you know, it was interesting because during the pandemic, it sort of obviously changed because everything had to be home and, and solo. Um, but I think it's still pretty big, definitely in Los Angeles. And a lot of those, you know, plasma centers and IV vitamins and, you know, tanks, submergent tanks and these cryo tanks that athletes swear by. They're pretty big. I think, um there was a huge boon for plastic surgery during pandemic. So I don't know if that's considered anti-aging, but you know, the the facelift industry, the facelift industry and the, you know, plasty and uh, breast augmentation industry just exploded, so to speak (laughs) uh, during, yeah, because think about it. Like you can't tell if I had, Abdominal surgery because I'm on Zoom right now, and you know if I want to go out with a face mask and sunglasses, you can't tell if I've had a facelift or my eyes done. Mm
1: -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it, so and there there were no parties to go to. There is no that's right, no galas. I'm surprised that there wasn't more like freezing and cryotherapy because people just wanted to like freeze themselves during 2010. (laughs) Yeah, come out in a year or two. Do you think that maybe? um, I agree with Kavi that I have seen less anti aging ads and things like that, but maybe it's just again the bubble that I'm in, you know, and how I think Facebook and Google are so good now at tailoring to like the things that I want and I don't search that stuff, but I mean, maybe I should, but maybe it's also rebranding. Like I think more about like goop and wellness, like you said. Um, So maybe it's sort of just a pseudonym now and it's kind of under a different guise of anti aging. Like if you eat this goose egg with you know gold crust lining you'll have vaginal rejuvenation wink wink like that's a term for youthfulness that's a term for Uh, mm anti-aging so maybe it's mm -hmm. just rebranding I I don't know I'm sort of maybe you do you're right I think it may be you know if if it's nobody likes
4: aging in any term and anti so maybe just using wellness can imply that yeah and it's real but it's a lot of it's the same just, yeah, as you said, it's rebranded, right? And it, and it sounds better if you're if you're thirty as opposed to if you're fifty eight thinking about anti aging when you're already sort of in it as opposed to before. It seems a little less um, well. You're not aging anyway because you're only thirty. So, but you can get this, you know, special cream that won't. You're you're young anyway, but it'll prevent you from having issues when you're a
0: 58 year
3: old or something like right that. well the the work you're doing the the book i think it's super important uh probably now more than ever but you know it's it's a problem that we've always had there's always been gaps in the medical education of our uh of our nation citizens and if we're not helping to to fill those those gaps with our knowledge the other people will with Pseudoscience and with very attractive offers that will probably just end up taking money from people. People are very good about making things sound scientific enough that it gives people that feeling of, wow, there's some science behind this. This sounds like a great idea. And people have always been good about that, only getting better. So it's really important that you have this book hype and that you're doing what you do. So Dr. Nia Shapiro, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell people where they can find the book and where they can learn more about you?
4: Sure. So uh, the book is Hype, A Doctor's Guide to Medical Myths, How to Tell What's Real and What's Not. Um, so you can get it on Amazon, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, you can get it online. Um, you can obviously hopefully get it in an independent bookstore as they're starting to open up. Um, it comes in hardcover and paperback and audio. If you want to listen to me for 10 and a half hours, um, it is an audio book and a Kindle. Um, my website, uh, separate from uh, my work website, is drninashapiro.com, uh, which has some of my articles and other... Uh, uh, host. Awesome.
3: That's great. Same Thank you again. so much for coming on.
4: Thank you. It was a lot of fun. What a treat.
1: I don't want him operating on my brain if he's only operating every two weeks. Yeah. Just exactly. Don't, tell him, don't <laughs> tell him I said that. But Are you in the witness protection program? It's oh my like completely <laughs> shadowed out.
3: I know. Hey, oh, there you lose. are. I'm from the bunker. I'm doing it Alex Jones style. Okay. We're keeping it real here.